Welcome to the Global Business Women's Pod, brought to you by the Greater Houston Women's Chamber of Commerce. I am Susan Dyson and proud to be the CEO, President, and Founder of the Chamber. Please join us for this empowering podcast every Thursday at 6 p.m. We are honored to sit before you and tell you a little bit about Jorge's story, and then we'll turn it to Jorge. He is indeed a life negotiator, a visionary, a marathon runner, an enterprise architect, and a survivor of 1,775 days of captivity, survival, ultimately, and growth. An American citizen, originally from Caracas, Venezuela, this is important. His role at CITGO was primarily operational, a role over the supply chain of CITGO's refineries. It is evident, and he, as he and the CITGO 6, the hostage taking of Jorge Toledo, along with five other executives of CITGO Petroleum Corporation, later known as the CITGO 6, you will hear today for the first time as he tells his story. They were political pawns caught in the tragic morass of a geopolitical conspiracy. Jorge spent periods in two of the worst prisons in Venezuela. One was known as the headquarters of the General Directorate of the Military Counterintelligence, and the other under the custody of the Valerian, uh, Bolivarian, Bolivarian, excuse me, Bolivian Interesante, National Intelligence Services. Pardon, I'm so caught up, this is very emotional. I've known his family for five years. Among others, his cells included the submarine, the submarine was a 12 by 2.1 meter cell with a bathroom that housed 20 prisoners. This one at least had a bathroom, five of whom slept on the floor. The two by two meter cell, he had the luxury of visiting for weeks at a time. Two weeks, no bathroom, no water. The other was called the preventative cell. That didn't have windows or ventilation. How did I get involved and why am I here? all a pro bono endeavor, my involvement precipitated as a result of a speech, a woman's speech, just like I'm giving today. But this one, I'm a Rice University graduate, and this was Rice undergrad and Rice Business School students. And I met a woman. I remember her name, Alessandra Sambrano. She thanked me and said, you're incredible. I said, thank you. Years later, I received a desperate call the week of Thanksgiving on a Tuesday. She described the inordinately unjust, incomprehensible situation that she had just said goodbye and her uncle, that ostensibly were going to Venezuela for a short meeting and back by Thanksgiving, but they were then on national TV. None of the men, including her father and uncle, and of course, Jorge Toledo, knew what they were accused of, of what was happening. Everyone prayed it was a misunderstanding. The beauty of Houston, of this community, is everyone responded. I used my, I used my friendships and my connections, and I had the senators, the members of House, all on the phone right away. Ultimately, the members of Congress, House and Senate, from Texas, Florida, New York, the Department of State, the Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs, 
U.S. ambassadors and the White House, including the Secretary of State and the Vice President of the United States, and ultimately two U.S. presidents, all got involved. The local and international coverage permeated once families guided by me and others all pro bono, at least in the United States. The, the lawyers in Venezuela were not pro bono, uh, other than her, your brother and a few others. When it was decided that we needed to go with the media because nothing else was working, we went to the media. And then there was an international campaign to free Citgo 6. Few more statements and I'll turn it to Jorge. The miscarriage of justice was draconian. For the lawyers in the room, 17 attempts to have a preliminary hearing, i.e. an appearance in the court to even know what they were accused of. Ultimately, there was a trial. The day of the sentence finally arrived. The day of Thanksgiving 2020, how touching. Three years later, global media and the US governments reacted with displeasure to the unjust and the illegal sentence of the Citgo Six. Who is Jorge Toledo? Before I turn it to him, I'll give you three or four more paragraphs and it will be his story and it's his to tell. And you will be absolutely intrigued and in, in, in captured and enraged. A father of two children and a grandfather of two girls, he currently resides in Sugarland, Texas with his wife, Carmen. I only met Jorge Toledo after his five years of wrongful captivity. My interactions were solely with his brilliant, charismatic, beautiful Carmen. Having to face the unexpected magnitude of the devastating experience, he had to, she had to deliver on a multiple fronts. The incessant calls from friends, acquaintances, the media, Washington, the interaction with Sitko, the search for lawyers, and most complicated, what was happening. She had to manage everything, including taking care of Jorge's mother, who lived with her the entire five years. With the chaos and confusion, he says his family kept him alive, spiritually and figuratively, because everything had to be delivered to Venezuela and to the prison, including water. I was privy to all of that. Not firsthand, but I heard about it. The Niper lasted five years. Jorge has described the woman she is making daily bold, necessary, and right actions. His son and daughter were engaged. It was about determination, strategy, action, discipline, courage, conviction, faith, and hope to survive the circumstance while ideally utilizing it as an opportunity for personal growth. As a result, in his words, as I turn it to Jorge, he talks about poison into medicine. And the answer to the question, was it a tragedy or an opportunity? As he has said to me, as I turn it to Jorge, with an ordinate and palpable pride to call him my friend. If I don't write about my story, who's going to do it for me and when? Ladies and gentlemen, Jorge Toledo. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm very honored to be here today, and uh, I'm very honored to have Sofia 
giving this uh, beautiful uh, introduction. You know that in, uh, in an ordeal like mine, uh, you find a true uh, fight between good and evil. Uh, you find people that cause you harm, and you find people that harm your family, but also you find people that are angels that help you uh, along the road. And Sophia is one of my angels, and my deepest appreciation and gratitude forever. Well, uh, this is a long story. Uh, Sophia has done a, 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 some sort of a, an introduction. But you know, uh, I want to start just to the whys. So this uh, has been a geopolitical case that led into a global disease that we have now today in the world, which is ho a hostage diplomacy. Hostage diplomacy is a crime against humanity. And if you go to the uh, Statute of Rome, hostage diplomacy or to uh, take humans as bargaining chips for a sort of uh, international or foreign policy from a autocratic regimes, that fits perfectly on what it's a, 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 a crime against humanity. But in our case, I would like to go over some background and uh, briefly on, on Venezuela, which is, you know, the CITGO uh, uh, is part of the uh, uh, National Oil Company of Venezuela, is, although it's a, an American company, uh, Delaware Incorporated entity. Uh, Venezuela had uh, 10 years of glory on, in terms of uh, oil prices from 2004 to 2013. It accumulated uh, in excess of $945 billion as a result of uh, income from uh, oil transactions. During that, the, those years, uh, just to give you a sense of the impact, the cost of production in Venezuela of a barrel is $25. They earn uh, gross uh, uh, income from transactions it, by two to three years from 120 to 150 dollars per barrel. That was uh, in this time frame. But you know, what goes up must go down. And then the barrel went down after the, you know, the economic crisis in, OA, in, in 2008, all the way below 20 dollars. But they invested in, uh, you know, in, in political uh, efforts in the region, uh, all this income, but today uh, there's nothing that led into uh, poverty, severe poverty, and strong economic conditions. As a result of that, uh, Venezuela decided to go to into an indebtedness, uh, getting uh, uh, looking money or credits in the market. And that is when uh, this uh, Russia and China came into the picture to the extent that they, uh, in one of these contracts, they uh, offered uh, the parent company of Citgo, which is also a, a US corporation, as a collateral. So that created, that was in, at the end of uh, 2016. So I'm mentioning this because this was the root cause of our imprisonment, this uh, particular contract, because the response of CITGO, of the financial and legal groups, was to look for a refinancing of this debt 
in order to look for sources of cash and to repay the contract with the Russians, which was specifically Rosneft, and get back the collateral. So uh, we were taken into a plane. We were the executives. At that time, I was the uh, uh, vice president of supply and marketing, so nothing to do with legal or, uh, or financial affairs and so on. Uh, we were taken to uh, Venezuela with the excuse of a business meeting. My role as a supply and marketing vice president was to uh, lead the, uh, the organization that was responsible for the crude oil supply to the Cisco refineries. So it was like a business meeting and said, well, okay. But curiously, uh, the ones that were called were only the ones with dual nationality. So uh, when we were in a meeting, we were, uh, there was a, a squad of a, a military intelligence uh, officers that uh, uh, detained us. And at, the very, at that very moment, we asked for consular help from the U.S. Embassy because we were all Americans. And they say, no, you enter uh, the country as Venezuelans, so you don't have the right for consular uh, support for any foreign uh, country. So that's how the journey started. Uh, I went into a situations of uh, a psychological torture. And uh, I, I want to mention a couple of things. What is called the psychology of oblivion, which is something that was uh, created by the Cuban military sector. And it's uh, a totally isolation, deprivation of multiple things like food, uh, putting uh, a forbidding uh, visits of your attorneys or families, uh, you sleep on the floor, uh, you're deprived from food, and uh, I make jokes after, you know, you, you, you know, you have to take this with humor. And uh, when I came back, I told my wife, so these guys has a very effective weight loss program down there that is called starvation. So I went to, uh, I went to uh, um, a little over 100 pounds in eight months as a result. Now, I think the relevant part of this uh, is, you know, there are notorious prisons, and you, have, you find places like this in Russia and China. And, but I think what is relevant is how I survived. And, I survived uh, following a process, and, and, and I would like to mention this. The first one is the situation. So it's important to understand the situation as is, because the situ what was my situation? Isolation, harassment, starvation, eh, and you name it. But sometimes we look at the situation through an illusion something that we wish, or a wishful thinking, and not as a realis the, the, the reality or the situation as is. Once you know, like you say, well, it's like the, uh, the alcoholic, when the alcoholic says, I'm an alcoholic and I need help. That is a critical moment because that is when you make a decision, and that is the portion that I call volition. It's your will. And you have two options here. It's a black and white situation. Or you survive or not. Now, at that moment, I made my, my decision. 
I want to go back to my family. I want to see my wife, and I want to uh, show them that I took this uh, experience as an opportunity to grow, to become a better man, stronger than ever. That was my decision. And then your response. And my response at that moment was a reality check. So why do I control in reality? And I realized that in prison, in a basement without windows and without fresh air, I didn't control anything but three things. My physical, mental, and spiritual health. That is what I'm going to be focused now. That is where is going to my strategy. And then my response, which is the action. And you know, action is driven by determination. But determination without uh, you know, that uh, action is just wishful thinking. And that is a, another critical point. You have a lot of determination to do things, but if you don't act, it's just wishful thinking. And then my response was to focus in these three areas. And the result is what uh, the uh, professor for NYU called success. So that sense of achievement that you know you are so the situation is a situation so what makes a difference is the way we approach the situation and that difference is our attitude i i spoke to some uh, cellmates on this regard try to you know help them to get out from a strong depression and i said you know the opposite, going to the opposites is a good way of seeing the attitude. So good attitude is to be positive, optimistic, and grateful. Bad attitude is negative, pessimistic, and a complainer. So you can check, that's a, like a, a, a checking list that you can use daily on, on, so the impact. And this is a picture of me uh, by the end of uh, 2018. Uh, I know that is uh, what is, it's a little shocking, the color of the dress. I apologize about that. But, you know, I, I was uh, weighing uh, a little over uh, 100 pounds. But um, a, a part of that, you know, uh, I went into multiple ailments, uh, kidney deficiencies, uh, amoebiasis, urinary problems, uh, high blood pressure, and so on. But that is a battle that I was trying to fight. My will, my volition started on, you know, what? The what is survival. This is my decision to survive. Why? And this is where the family comes into the picture. Purpose and meaning. And, and, and meaning. So my, my family was, and my wife was my inspiration because I wanted to go back to her stronger than ever. And then determination, which is the commitment. In one of my phone calls to her, I, uh, I told her, my commitment to you is to go back to you, to your arms as a better man, stronger than ever. And that helped us to survive. And then the action, my preservation of physical, mental, and spiritual health. I did so many things in a two-by-one space. This is a picture of me in 2021, exercising in a cell, thanks to one of the guards that sent this using his phone. And 
mental health. I went into meditation, but not re meditation pursuing relaxation, meditation pursuing full concentration. You know, that's the meditation that the Brahmanism, Hinduism, even Buddhism uh, promotes. And then uh, I started teaching music. I am a, uh, I, I'm a musician, so that's the other, the other part of my life. And then I started producing music and uh, all happening in my head. And the response on from the spiritual point of view. And I resume the spirituality on this in three questions. When you see your circumstances, you ask the question like, what did I do wrong? So is this my fault or is somebody else's fault? Or going this to an upper level, this is my karma? So let me check my life if I did something wrong. And, uh, or it is my mission. And that is a, the critical point, the philosophical part of this. And when you see this as your mission is when you see a meaning to your life, purpose to your life. You say, well, I need to overpass this circumstance and I have to take all the learning possible because I want to take my life to the next level whenever I am released because all processes in life are in a temporary basis, the day, the night, the seasons of the year, and everything has a beginning and an end. You, are, you gave birth and you die. And Jorge, you cannot see this, but Susan is graciously about to give us some gifts. So if you could very quickly walk us through your return the marathons, and then let me reference the toolbox, and we can end with what you've done with your tools. Yeah. Well, uh, these are pictures uh, from left to right. Uh, from left, this is the moment when, uh, right after uh, arriving to U.S. soil in the hangar in a military base in San Antonio when I saw my wife and son for the first time after five years. Then in the middle, these are my two granddaughters that I, I, I started to uh, develop a new relationship with her. You know, I used to be the, uh, the uh, virtual Yayo. Yayo is uh, like a grandfather in Catalan, so where our, our roots come from. And uh, now I'm the real Yayo because I'm tangible. I used to be pictures and uh, so I tried to develop a relationship uh, with her, with them, and that was also part of my meaning and purpose to come back. And the first Thanksgiving with the family after five years. That's my survival, but there's something else that came up as my survival. I started training, going back to marathons, and about a month ago, I was able to run the Boston Marathon and full, complete the distance. Yes. And, and and, and prior to running the Boston Marathon, because like all of us, we're aficionados of Houston, all of whom worked together to get him home, after 107 days only after your release, you first ran the Houston Half Marathon. I, I, I hate to close this because your story is so impactful and your journey aberrationally inspirational. You talk about your bag of tools, and maybe you can end with a toolbox, but as he started describing the toolbox he developed internally, 
It made me think of that great poem we've all read, A Bag of Tools by R.L. Sharp, and depicts the human choice and decision-making. And we are all, we start with a shapeless mass, and we're, bigging, we're given a bag of tools. And what do you do with that shapeless mass? So please take it away as we end in the toolbox that yours is now overflowing and what you've done with your initial shapeless mass. Well, I call the toolbox uh, the set of skills and experiences that any human has, so collected all along your days and your years. And I came into captivity with my own toolbox that helped me to survive along these almost five years. But along the, the journey, I started getting new tools and getting new tools. And then when I was released, I realized that I have my toolbox full of new and sophisticated tools. And I'm setting, uh, I'm talking about uh, patience, resilience, tolerance, prudence, discipline, common sense, by the way, the less common of the senses. <laughs> but it's very helpful, I tell you. Respect, better understanding on human nature and life, and going over your skill set as a, as a professional, as an executive, uh, you know, I improved my negotiation skill. Sometimes negotiating for a piece of bread, it was a, you know, a tough negotiation, particularly with a, uh, a cellmate that is very hungry. Uh, persuasion skill, communication, uh, leadership, management of crisis, uncertainty. So there's a lot of, and last but not least, a surgical ability to clean toilets. I had to clean toilets almost every day in prison, and when I came back, you know, one day the, the lady that helped my, my my wife to, you know, clean the house. She had something to do, and then uh, she said, well, she wasn't able to show up. And I said, well, I can help, you know, I have some experience cleaning toys. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I, I'm, I'm gonna do it. So, and I started putting this, uh, uh, my, my, my cleaning and uh, new skills that you would be even eating on top of the toilet, because it was, <laughs> Surge, it was like a, 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 a hospital, you know. And then she said, well, you have given me a great idea. I'm going to get rid of the lady because I, <laughs> I have this new boy that has a great skill of cleaning toilets. So now is when, you, when I realize about my new toolbox, I said, you know, I can contribute to the society, to my family, I can contribute to strengthen what I think that is the three key pillars of any society, culture, education, and the creation of the right values. And if you see this in any society, you know, these countries that are not doing very well is because the, any of these threes or all of these threes are in problem. So that is what uh, I want to use my new toolbox just contribution, helping others as part of my healing process, because when you help others, you heal. And it's, uh, it's uh, fantastic. So that is a story behind my, my toolbox, and that's my story. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you again next Thursday at 6 p.m. 
For more information about the Chamber and our podcast, please visit us at ghwcc.org.